so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. I've got to be honest. I can't stand old-timey country because I, no, I wasn't raised on no. it. I wasn't raised on it. I can't do it. What were y'all doing down in Jacksonville? The only— Like, what were y'all doing the, in Jacksonville? Were you listening to, like, the Beach Boys? Is I that, was listening—oh, actually, yes, I was. Oh I was listening gosh. to the Bengals. Oh. Just another manic Monday. Whoa, whoa. Oldies. Blue moon. Sherry. Sherry, baby. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week, always, is Brent Leatherwood. That had kind of like a musical. Always. He's with me. Always. That's because we've been talking about the CMAs. It's like a grocery store jingle or something. We're in a singing mood this morning. Are you going to sing for them? That was the about, listeners. That was about the extent of it, oh, right okay. there. Well, nobody wants to listen to me. So. Hopefully, our audio engineer caught some of your pre-show recording singing, and uh, we'll share that with our listeners. Did I sing? You hummed. Oh yeah, you hummed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right. Well, that's a, right. A little patriotic, a little patriotic hum. too. Yep. Well, it's, which we'll talk about in just a minute. It's, it's, well, while we're recording, it's Veterans Day. Yeah, it's Veterans Day. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But I'm going to mention Veterans Day when I talk about what the ERLC is talking about. Oh, and I'm going to mention Veterans Day as well. Oh, good. Well, let's go ahead and get started with and kick it off with what the ERLC has been talking about this week. First up is a piece by Jason Thacker, who we feature frequently because we are so thankful for his writing. And I really love this article. It was titled, Three Words That Will Shape Digital Culture for Good and Cultivate Virtue in the Public Square, The Power of I Don't Know. Now, I like this article because these words don't only change online culture, but they shape in-person culture as well. The humility of telling somebody, I don't know, cannot be underestimated. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud— the person who usually won't let the words, I don't know, come out of their mouth, but gives grace to the humble. And God also tells us in his word that a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. And in our day and age, there are lots of harsh words being flung around online. There are people, as Jason says, not just people, all of us really, um, innately trying to present ourselves as omnicompetent, that we know all things, that we have an expertise in all things, that we need to comment on all things online. But instead, God calls us as believers to humility that recognizes that only He knows all things, that only He can handle the constant influx of information, that only He can interpret it correctly, and only He can give us the wisdom to respond. And so we need to be quick to listen, slow to anger, 
slow to speak, and we need to be those people who uh, are willing to give a gentle answer that says, you know what? I don't know, and I'm not going to speak into this right now. Wait, so you mean to tell me that those hundreds of thousands and millions of people on social media are not actually experts about the things that they are shouting into the void about, Lindsay? Yes, I know it's shocking. <laughs> and you know what? That applies to us as well. It does. And those who, those who call themselves believers, we don't have to speak into everything, and we don't have to know everything. Well, and that's right. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that is the temptation that social media puts in front of us because— we have been told this, you know, false concept that something is happening. Therefore, I need to speak about it. And that's an ever-present temptation now with social media and especially with it being at our fingertips. And uh, I, I do think that often what is required in, in those big moments or breaking news events or when something is just happening culturally – Often the best response is silence and reflection. And we don't often partake in that, do we? We do not because it's not something that is celebrated. And, you know, we want to be known. We want to be respected. We want to be affirmed. But we take that in our flesh and in our simpleness and we twist it. And we seek those things in wrong arenas and in the wrong ways. And, you know, we should acknowledge that the incentives uh, for that, like they're all misaligned, right? Somebody— Somebody asked me uh, recently, you know, what what would you do to fix uh, social media? Well, honestly, if, if it were up to me, I'd, I'd, I'd go to those big technology companies that just pull the plug if there was just a plug in the wall that controlled all of the social media platforms. But if I were actually being uh, realistic and, and wanting to offer up a real solution, I would try and figure out a way. Get rid of likes and retweets and repost. I, I don't know what the Instagram thing is, but just something that gives you that kind of immediate validation uh, because the incentives are there. You want people to interact with you and like what you say and confirm what you say. And that's the thing. Oftentimes, it just becomes an exercise in confirming our priors. And the incentives there to get more people to take notice of it is to say more outrageous things. And if we just took away that and it just went back. Do you remember the the early days of Twitter? It was like Lindsay Nicolay going to get some pizza at Little Caesars. Yes. <laughs> like, like that's what it was. And the the critique was, wow, we're all just kind of really sharing too much about like where we are, what we're doing. But it was just like everyday activity. Now it's become, oh, let me go say the wildest eyed thing possible to own the libs. And it's <laughs> and it's like that's not helpful either. Uh, it's so, I don't know. Right. Well, are you telling me that we need to revamp the bracelets and, uh, change them to WWBD? What would Brent do? You remember no, those bracelets? Do, yes. Well, I, of course I remember those I bracelets, know, but, but yes. Because someone do, asked you, what would you do with social media? So. Yeah. Just, well, do not do what I would do. Cause I probably don't use social media wisely either. I, I try to, and I try to limit my consumption of it, but, uh. Yeah, that, but what, what what I would do would be that. I would eliminate likes and <laughs> tweets and faves. As you're talking to me with your phone in your hand, hopefully not scrolling social <laughs> well, no, media. This is, <laughs> no, this is for the I'm article. giving away your secrets. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we all need the Lord's grace to be able to use social Amen. media well, and we're thankful for uh, friends and colleagues to help us think 
wisely about that. Next up, we have a piece by our policy staff out of D.C. It's an explainer about a religious liberty case for a Texas inmate that was heard at the Supreme Court. This is a case titled Ramirez versus Collier, and I'm going to read from the opening paragraph just to give you an idea of what it was about. On September 8th, just hours before John Ramirez was to be executed for a murder in Corpus Christi, the Supreme Court granted a stay of the execution. Ramirez sued Texas prison officials in August for refusing to permit Dana Moore, pastor of Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, to minister to him while he is executed. Ramirez requested that Moore be allowed to physically touch him and audibly pray in the execution chamber. The lower courts rejected his request to postpone his execution, but the Supreme Court justices granted a stay of execution and fast-tracked his appeal. So he was granted a stay of execution. And the importance of this this case uh, and what Brent has actually made comments about it is the right to have spiritual counsel and comfort. It's a centuries-old practice, and it, as the article says, it must be respected and honored today. Everybody has that right, and we do not want those rights violated. Well, our, our point in this case and in other cases like it is that, look, if, if religious liberty is going to mean anything at any point in your life, surely it certainly means something as you are about to exit this life. And this individual who is due to be executed, and, you know, I would say the number of groups that are involved in this run the spectrum from very far left groups to to very conservative groups, uh, highly secular groups to, obviously, like us, highly religious groups. And the point is not trying to get this person away from paying the penalty that his fellow citizens uh, have given him for the crimes he committed uh, because they are, it, it was a heinous crime. But it's just this individual has said, hey, as I am about to face execution, I want my pastor there. And I really would like to have my pastor praying over me audibly. And the Supreme Court arguments this week, I think really, really shot down the effort by the Texas Attorney General's office really just kind of undermined any sort of credible reason that this pastor, this Southern Baptist pastor, should be prevented from doing those things uh, that this prisoner has has requested for these final moments. And so, yeah, we're really engaged on this, and, and there's a number of our faith allies uh, that are doing so as well. And we think it's an important case, and we are uh, we are hopeful that the justices will will side with uh, our view of the request here. Well, thank you for that explanation, Brent. And once again, we're so thankful for the work that the DC team is doing. They're advocating for our our religious freedoms, advocating for people of faith that they, especially believers here, that they could have somebody uh, audibly praying for them and uh, laying hands on them in the moments that they are going to take their last breaths. We know from Scripture that prayer is vital, that we even see the laying on of hands in Scripture. And so it is important to us as believers, and uh, we are hopeful for the outcome of this. And then finally, as we're recording, it is Veterans Day. So I wanted to include a piece by our colleague, Jill Wagner. It's titled, Five Reflections About My Pro-Life, Whole-Life Convictions, How a Military Funeral Affirmed My Beliefs on Human Dignity. And of course, 
You'll have to go read the article for the whole story, but it is a fascinating one about how Jill's, so you have to follow along with me here, Jill's grandmother's brother was finally brought home. In fact, his remains, after he was killed in action, were brought home to her great-grandmother, his mother. But they discovered that the wrong body was mistakenly sent home. So they discovered that, uh, they were notified of that in 2020. And so it was this process of bringing uh, her grandmother's brother home and they had a ceremony and it reaffirmed to her some of her beliefs about human dignity. And I thought they were beautiful reflections. It reminded me of my own papa, who was a prisoner of war in World War II. It reminded me of my grandfather, who uh, was an Air Force pilot and he actually, during a training mission, had a case of the bends. Mm. He was flying a plane and was blinded and had to be talked down by his wingman. In the air? While he was flying in the air, was blind. I didn't think you could. I thought the bends was only uh, underwater. No. Wow. It was a in the okay. air thing. And he was, I actually wrote a little bit of an article about it, but he was blinded. His wingman had to talk him down. They did a write-up in this flying safety issue that we have in my son's room, framed in my son's room. So anyway, about my uncle who was an Air Force pilot and my dad was a Navy pilot. So we have lots of history there and I'm thankful uh, for those veterans. What about you, Brent? Do you, any veterans in your family? We have a whole bunch of veterans in our family, as you would expect from a from a family that's been here since the mid-1600s. Although I was talking with one of our state executives, and he was like, oh, tell me about your last name and some of your family history. And he's like, do you have any any interesting little, you know, historical points about it? And uh, one of the more recent uh, things that we have discovered is my great-great, however many greats, uh, grandfather. Apparently, uh, he lived in uh, kind of southern uh, Virginia near Charlottesville near that area. And apparently he was a loyalist hmm. uh, and he did not fight for the colonies during the revolution. Or at least that's what we kind of can piece together because right after the revolution, folks who fought uh, in the Continental Army, they got to live like a tax-free uh, holiday from the government. And my my grandfather did not get that. And so we were kind of thinking, well, he must have been a loyalist at the time, which is interesting. So yes, both of my grandfathers, they were uh, in, in the service. And uh, I'm just always, always thankful for veterans. And this story that you're highlighting from Jill, I mean, when they discovered this relative of theirs, I mean, it, it caused a lot of news coverage about it. And so, yeah, this is... Uh, this is certainly a, a time each year where we do want to thank those uh, who have, you know, just sacrificed, uh, you know, whole parts of their life in service to this country and their families. Don't forget their families uh, who have also sacrificed uh, time away from loved ones as they were serving. And so Veterans Day is a special, special holiday. And uh, I'm really grateful that our, our country takes some, some time away uh, to celebrate them. As, and I've got a story about Veterans Day coming up in our culture section. Oh, good. Well, I cannot wait to hear it. And yes, happy Veterans Day, a day late when this is released uh, to all of those who have so faithfully and sacrificially served our country. We are very thankful. As always, there are plenty of other important and helpful resources on our site. But for now, Brent, that's what's happening on ERLC.com. 
So, Brent, since you whetted our appetite with that piece of information that you have a story about Veterans Day coming up, let's go ahead and move into our culture section. What has been happening this week? Well, thanks for that, Lindsay, and we will get to that uh, Veterans Day piece here at the end. So we're going to do just kind of three top stories this week. The first story that we're leading off with is probably something that everyone in our audience is feeling every time they go to purchase something. Inflation is soaring. And so this first story comes to us from Axios, and it's entitled, Inflation is at its highest level in 30 years. The core consumer price index, which measures the price of goods and services— excluding food and energy, rose 0.6% in October, according to data out Wednesday. The headline CPI, which includes all items, increased 0.9% in October compared to economists' expectations of a 0.5% uptick. The latest inflation reading shows that price gains are picking up steam. Quote, we expected inflation would get worse before it got better, but not this much worse. Particularly painful is the increase in food prices as we approach the holidays and the rise in energy prices as we plan travel to more holiday get-togethers. Robert Frick, corporate economist with the Navy Federal Credit Union, wrote in a research note. He then continued, however, both of those increases are likely to be temporary, and the forecasts that inflation overall will drop early to mid-next year still seem credible, he added. So as just some evidence of this, uh, fuel oil prices increased 12.3% in October, up from 3.9% in September and part of a 59.1% increase over the year. And used vehicle prices were also up, rising 2.5% this month, and new vehicle prices rose another uh, almost 0.5%. President Biden said in a statement, inflation hurts Americans' pocketbooks, and reversing this trend is a top priority for me. So uh, needless to say, we all are seeing this you were talking before we went on the air about just several ways that you've noticed it at the grocery store, and uh, uh, this is certainly something that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, I have seen on the news the last few days about the soaring price of ground beef. So if that is a part of your Thanksgiving tradition or your Christmas tradition, Brent, uh, you might want to rethink that. Or if you're a filet kind of a guy, you might not be going out to eat to get a good filet dinner. Right. Uh, because it's going to be very expensive. Well, we tend to be holiday traditionalists at our house. Uh, so that means a Thanksgiving turkey, turkey and what a about Christmas? Christmas ham. ham. Okay, ham. <laughs> My husband does but both not of like those ham. prices, I think, are, have gone up as well. Yeah, they're going to go up. So it actually may, you may need to go to just beans and rice. Pick your favorite kind of bean, <laughs> your favorite kind of rice. That's what the fam might be having for Thanksgiving or Christmas this year, which, which would be fine by me. But yeah, it, it will be painful as well for those families that are traveling for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, you know, these past few years are just the gift that keeps on giving. You got COVID ruining Thanksgiving Christmas plans. You got inflation. So, I, yeah, it. what's crazy to me is that it's at its inflation is at its highest level in 30 years, mm. which is practically my lifetime. Practically. Yeah, you know, practically. Not— not completely. We're, we're, we're missing a large portion of oh, your lifetime. Not life large, only eight years, which <laughs> I don't a, mind saying. It's a because, significant you know, amount of time. Age is a gift. That's right. With age comes wisdom. I just hope the, the pumpkin pie prices are not rising because that is, that's something that I really have to have. You, you, know, you should try my mother-in-law's pumpkin pie. It's really good. I, no, no. I only like Libby's canned 
<laughs> pumpkin, and then you make the pie out of that. Right. I right. do not like store-bought pumpkin pies. Yeah. It's got to be a Libby's, and it has to be refrigerated. That's right. That's right. There you Back go. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. I'm glad. I'm glad people know what your culinary mm-hmm. tastes are now. But uh, no, look, we are filling the squeeze. And look, it's all related. It is all related. The you know, COVID has caused a number of disruptions. That has caused supply chain disruptions across the globe, and particularly here in America, where some of our policies uh, that have been put in place at, at the federal level uh, are exacerbating. Uh, those things and and not even in some cases it's not even policies that have put in place. It's actually policy inaction uh, that is exacerbating those things. So, for example, our broken immigration system. Many studies are out there that say upwards of about a million workers are missing because of our broken immigration system, and those are the people that help get goods to market. And if goods can't get to market, that means there are less of them, and that drives up prices as well. And so we're feeling that uh, with inflation. So all of this is connected, and and we are going to probably be feeling this for a while. Uh, so uh, we certainly need to be smart with our finances personally, and uh, we need our our representatives uh, at the federal level to be smart with our national finances as well. Okay, the next big story is kids. Kids are now getting vaccines. Uh, So this comes to us from NPR. By the end of the day on Wednesday, about 900,000 elementary school-age children will have gotten their first doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, a White House official shared with NPR in advance of an announcement expected later in the day. That represents about 3% of children ages 5 to 11. About 700,000 more appointments are scheduled in the days ahead at pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens. For the White House, this is an early and encouraging sign in the effort to vaccinate 5- to 11-year-olds, though it is impossible to tell from these initial numbers whether vaccinations will continue apace or hit a plateau of hesitancy as has happened with other age groups. Unlike previous expansions of vaccine availability, the Pfizer vaccine for these younger children comes in a smaller dose with different packaging and smaller needles. So uh, certainly this is an encouraging milestone uh, as we we seek to, you know, beat back the the challenges presented by COVID. And actually in a related bit of news, I, I saw a graphic this week that said individuals age 65 and older, 99% of that population have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Really? And uh, the person that was commenting on this said, this is nothing short of a public health feat. And it's true. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, granted, look, there's there's a lot of controversy out there, no doubt about it, you know, trying to figure out who's to blame for this or that, you know, in terms of uh, where our numbers are. But if you actually just take a step back, we're actually doing pretty good in terms of getting shots into arms and, and getting people vaccinated against this very horrible disease. And that's, I mean, Thanksgiving is around the corner. That is truly something to be thankful for. Uh, because it wasn't too long ago where we were talking about, gosh, is it is it going to be dangerous for us to get together with family members uh, for Thanksgiving, for holidays? And so this is uh, this is truly something like America. We, we actually should be proud of ourselves in this moment. We we can continue doing better, and I think we will. But this is something to be thankful for. 
Absolutely. And if you listen to the show last week, you can go back and look at the show notes. I shared an article in the lunchroom section from a doctor, pediatrician that I like to follow, who shared seven reasons why she is going to be giving her children the vaccine or getting the vaccine for her children. And so I know that when it comes to our children, uh, it can cause some consternation and can you can feel the the weight of that responsibility when it comes to vaccines. So just wanted to encourage you to read some good information from doctors, from trusted sources, including that article, to help you uh, process this information and, and make the best decision for your family. There's another piece of good news that I don't know the full story, but I just saw it flashing on the news screen about antiviral drugs that have been tested, that have been given to people with COVID, and that can help with the illness and and cause it to not be so severe. So that also would be a great piece of news, a great thing to have in the future as COVID really stays with us forever. Okay, and this uh, final story is about Veterans Day, and specifically the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So Veterans Day 2021 marks a special anniversary for that revered site in our nation's capital. So this comes to us from CBS News. November 11th, 2021 marks 30,814 days that tomb sentinels have guarded the tomb of the unknown soldier located in Arlington National Cemetery. It's a tradition that has been a part of our country for 100 years. This Veterans Day marks the 100th anniversary of the day the first unknown soldier was laid to rest at the site. The memorial has evolved in that time, but the tradition remains the same. In 1921, then-President Warren G. Harding delivered a famous speech as part of the dedication ceremony. In the speech, he eulogized the anonymous soldier who died fighting in World War I. Today, to be a part of the Sentinel is considered one of the highest honors that a soldier can have. According to the Society of the Honor Guard, since 1958, over 680 tomb guards have been awarded the badge, a badge only given to those who have been chosen to serve as members of the Guard. When I lived in uh, Washington, D.C. and worked on Capitol Hill, one of my favorite places to go was Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, just the history of the grounds itself is fascinating. But then to go over to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and and see uh, these sentinels uh, guarding the tomb and uh, just the changing of the guard that happens, I mean, it just gives you chills. And uh, once again, like as we said at the outset of the show, it's just an opportunity to show gratitude uh, for these individuals uh, who serve our nation. So my aunt and uncle lived close to D.C., and so I grew up going there frequently. So we would go to Arlington National Cemetery when I was a kid frequently, and I would also see the Sentinels, although I didn't know they were called that, at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it was always fascinating to me. Um, I consider it a privilege to be able to have seen that. And also, my papa is buried in Arlington National Cemetery along with my grandma. So, which reminded me in our lunchroom segment, sneak peek, of something that I could share there. Well, that is certainly an apt way to bring bring it into to this section. So, uh, with that, Lindsay, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Well, thank you, Brent. And now it's time for the lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. 
I, because I'm introducing it, am going to let myself go first today. So what do you think about that, Brent? <laughs> Age before beauty. Age before beauty. Age after beauty, Brent. There you go. Age after beauty. Well, first up, I wanted to um, tell you more about my daughter Marion's antics. So I told you the story of how she basically was breaking and entering into a neighbor's house who wasn't home. And uh, so this past week, we had more antics. She's been having trouble sleeping. She used to be so great at it and staying in her room, and she has now been wanting to come out of her room, et cetera, et cetera. So as we have her in her room to go to sleep during her nap, she was pitching a fit, and then she got quiet. And then we noticed on the monitor that she was asleep, but there was this stuff on her bed. And I was like, what is that stuff on her bed? And my husband said, well, is it spit spots that she made? So Marion, when she goes to sleep— when she wakes up in the morning, she's got this spot where she slept that you can see that his like her drool her and drool. stuff. Yeah, and I drool. call it her spit spot. So now it's been, she says, my spit spot. And so she is very upset if you wash her blanket and there's no spit spot there. And then we just tell her, well, you just make a new spit spot. So it's really gross. Yeah. But we are, we are she, diving into the Nicolay household. Yes, she likes it. So I'm like, I don't think so. So she was asleep and I snuck into her room. Well, what it turned out to be was Aquaphor. So you know what Aquaphor is? Like Vaseline. She had gotten into the tub of Aquaphor, painted the room. So she, it was all over the doorknobs, it was all over the stuffed animals, <laughs> the dresser, the rugs, the bed, herself, her hair, the wall. So it was a mess. Her hair, I had to take Dawn dish soap to wash her hair with that. And it took a couple of washes. Her hair was greasy for a couple of days. And it Took a bit. It wasn't terrible to get all of that out of her stuff. Like I had to get the carpet cleaner out. But it was much better than the alternative. And then I say to celebrate Grant's 10-month birthday, 10-month-old birthday, Grant and her got into our, knocked over our paper shredder, which she can't, they can't shred their fingers because there's a lock on it. But they knocked it over and my mom, who was taking care of them, didn't notice at the time. I come downstairs. My mom turns around to notice that it looked like there was an indoor snow party. Shredded paper everywhere, everywhere. I was vacuuming Grant's hair and his clothes because it was just everywhere. But they were having just a great time. And again, it was much better than the alternatives. Right. So <laughs> antics with small kids. But one thing I did want to bring up, and the last thing on my lunchroom segment, is something called Reads Across America. Mm -hmm. And our colleague, Marie Delft, made me aware of this. It's a time when you can donate money, and they do this on December 18th, so that's the deadline. They place these reads on the tombs at the National Arlington Cemetery as well as, I was looking on their site, more than 2,500 additional locations in all 50 states and at sea and abroad. So mm -hmm. it's something that I think is just special. I do it in honor of my grandfather, put one on his uh, tombstone. Um, I would encourage you to take part just as a way to say, you know what, we remember the sacrifices of those who have either given their lives or um, lived out their lives in order to protect our freedoms here in this country. Mm, that's great. Yeah, both of my grandfathers are buried at the Chattanooga uh, Veteran Cemetery uh, in, in downtown Chattanooga. So I, I don't, I, I assume we could put wreaths on their tombstones. They, they've got like pretty special, right? But if they do it at Arlington, 
Yeah, because they surely said more they than, would do it at the National yeah. Cemetery in Chattanooga. So yeah, okay. Well, that's that's and a great can, idea. You can put their tombstone number, their plot number, in there. Right. Oh man, that's 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 great. I love that. And if you don't know the plot number, you can look it up because I looked up my grandfather's. Well, there you go. Very helpful. Well, hey, since we're continuing with this theme, uh, because it is a Veterans Day week, my lunchroom is something I am so glad that I heard about. And no thanks to our former colleague, Andrew Walker, who who didn't think of me when he heard about it as well. Uh, and I let him know about that. But the Band of Brothers podcast uh, has started. And if you're like me, Band of Brothers, the miniseries that uh, originally aired on HBO, and, and now it's in syndication and airs uh, several times a year on, on various stations, this was like a formative experience, particularly when it came out uh, right around the time of 9-11. And just seeing uh, the very real experience of our veterans, uh, in particular World War II, was just amazing to me. And uh, I'll never forget my my papa when he and and my my grandfather uh, when when they both saw originally Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, they just were like, "This is really what it was like." Uh, un- unlike you know some of those other earlier World War II movies that came out, which kind of valorized uh, everything. This was a there was a real ness to the experience and. I have always been fascinated with Band of Brothers, and the fact that it's been out for 20 years is amazing to me. Well, this podcast series goes through each of the episodes. They've released, I think, three now. There are 10 episodes of Band of Brothers, uh, and it starts off with an interview with Tom Hanks, uh, who was one of the executive producers along with Steven Spielberg. And, and just hearing the stories about the the actual veterans that, you know, were a part of the D-Day landings, a part of the Easy Company uh, that parachuted in behind enemy lines at D-Day. It's, it is, gosh, it's just amazing. And I would absolutely recommend this to anyone in our audience who cares about history or who's interested in World War II or maybe has family members. That is a disappearing generation. Uh, that one of the statistics coming out of the podcast was at the beginning of 2020, there were about 300,000 remaining veterans of World War II that were still alive. And as of now, that number is just over 100,000. And um, we need to capture their stories and hear from them uh, because there's so much wisdom from that generation and the things that they saw as they truly sought to overcome evil that was just running amok across the globe in that season. And they confronted it, and they beat it back. And and thank God that they did, uh, because this world would be very different if uh, Nazi Germany or Imperial Japan had, had really prevailed. So anyways, listen to this podcast. It's just great stories from, from what went into making the series and uh, great stories about the, the veterans who spoke into the making of the series. 
I'm glad you reminded me about that because I had heard of it and I do want to listen to it. And if you as listeners haven't watched the Band of Brothers series, you need to. Of course, there's language and violence. Just be aware of that. But it is so good. I I don't remember much. I probably should go back and rewatch it. It is so so good. Well, I would and, say I would say it's airing right now on either TNT or A and E. Um, okay. And obviously, if you have if you have HBO uh, Max, uh, you can call it up at any time there. Or if you're like me, you've you've got it at home on a disc. Uh, of course. To, to watch all of it. <laughs> of course. And now Brent's probably going to go to his office and listen to the soundtrack. Oh, great soundtrack. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, man. Well, yeah, that is a great, a great note to end on. Just remembering a show and a podcast that honors our veterans and honors, as some would say, the greatest generation. Just a reminder, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And in addition to listening to this podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.